Hi, I'm Curtis Herbert. I'm Alice Zhao. And I'm Jelly, a.k.a. Daniel Farrelly. And this is Independence, a show where the three of us talk about our efforts to make a living, mostly in the App Store nowadays, and uh, how we keep messing up constantly just to make you all feel better that you're not alone. We don't know what we're doing either. I have no idea. What am I even doing now? Yeah, I don't know. So speaking of messing up, I shipped a bug, and it was a fun one. And I wanted to talk about bugs today, because I'm sure you two have shipped bugs, right? No, yeah. my software is perfect. <laughs> I don't know about you. I I just, I everything I do, it just turns to gold. That's what I heard. What, what did I see on Twitter today? Something about you had to reject the binary because <laughs> people couldn't buy things in your app anymore? That seems like a pretty critical thing. <laughs> it technically didn't ship. It just got submitted, and I caught it, and then now my software is perfect. Oh, okay. You just didn't want to get paid. That's all. <laughs> it was okay. a donation warehouse. <laughs> so uh, for me, I mean, I'm pretty okay with the fact that I'm going to ship some bugs. But the ones that I'm not okay with are anything with data loss. And this was pretty much a data loss bug. And it affected maybe six users a week out of a couple thousand. So it wasn't terrible, but I took it pretty badly. See our episode on customer support and Jelly's advice, because that certainly helped me a lot to not just cry in a corner. So I really wanted to talk through like, what you two do to try and avoid situations like I ended up in. So Jelly, it sounds like you recently shipped a bug, but you caught it. I'd be curious, like what's your QA process like? How how do you approach testing things within your app? It's very haphazard, I'll be honest. <laughs> I'm not a perfect candidate for like how to do things perfectly right because I tend to like overlook things as I ship them. Thank God I'm not alone. The the tweet the tweet that you're talking about, which was that uh, I recently submitted a version of GIF wrapped. It was going. It was in review. Uh, I caught a bug. I reject. I developer rejected that while it was in review, and then resubmitted, and they picked it up almost instantly. But the bug was just like if you went into the new premium subscribing screen, there's a button to subscribe to the subscription and it just did not work. It didn't update with the pricing. It didn't uh, didn't do, like, it did nothing like it was supposed to do. And, I mean, the only reason that I picked that up was because I was, like, I just kind of went, did I ship that right? And then I went in and checked it and it was it was bad, like it was wrong. That actually describes like 90% of how I catch bugs these days is like I, I come across something because I, I, you know, I think, did I test that particular situation? Well, was this something that you had changed for this version in any way? It is. Like, I mean, the whole screen is new okay. and I had it working at one point, but then I made a change to fix another bug. <laughs> And didn't actually check to see that I have not created a new problem. Right, because you had already tested that functionality and it worked. So why right, would it break? exactly. Yeah. And so it's it's just one of the it's one of those like I overlooked the butterfly effect of my change yeah. before <laughs> shipping, and it wasn't until after I checked and it was like, oh, you know, it was I, I was actually looking for a completely different problem and discovered that. That problem was fine, but the, the the actual problem was that you just now couldn't press that button, and that was kind of bad considering that that's literally how I was going to get paid. So, so your testing is a lot more kind of poke around in the area that you worked on and try and think through most things that you touch there, but pretty much focus on where your changes are. Yeah. No full-on yeah. regression tests, nothing like that. I don't have I, – I mean, I don't do a lot of testing. I have before, – before I get anybody sending me emails, Casey. I have <laughs> unit tests. They have like five unit tests. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of unit tests for some of the more basic stuff that has been added in recent, like recent uh, months where like, you know, there's some stuff. But I, 
I also have um, some UI tests for doing screenshots, but that doesn't cover everything. That sure. just covers the stuff that I do screenshots with. And it's so... I, I don't know if you two have ever done anything with the Xcode uh, UI testing stuff, but it is about as reliable as a monkey in paint. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> It just it just does whatever it wants, and it doesn't necessarily always work. So it's like your not subscription button, you, I can rely Ouch. on. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Alice? How do you and Yano manage all this? So QA is it always passes through me first, obviously, and then it goes through my husband, who just is really good at finding really strange bugs when he just touches everything and with like multi-finger touch mm. and swiping and he he's found the most random random cases that no one would ever use an app like that but he finds them and then i also have two kids <laughs> built-in beta testers so they'll get it and then when i'm ready i will also beta test with neighbors kids and friends kids until it seems bugless <laughs> as best you can tell yeah <laughs> So there's there's some there. Yeah. But I assume that helps pretty well because you're you're not like Yano's not the one testing, whereas Jelly and I, we have to test our own code. Yeah, he gets right. to rely on you to have a fresh pair of eyes, which I have to imagine is pretty beneficial for you two in finding bugs. Yeah. I mean, we're deciding what goes in there, but he's clearly writing it mm. and then and I'll just go crazy as I can and then at least there's some there's some hierarchy of or or progression of beta testing within the family <laughs> before we um go to other beta testers but yeah it's not not super rigorous yeah but like the kids catch a lot because they're the ones that are like why isn't it doing this I expect it to do that well that's not a bug but it'll they'll tell you when they expect something to happen yeah it's not happening showing showing people that haven't had a hand in the process helps a lot yeah. Part of the problem that I have and part of the reason that I don't catch things immediately is because I know the theoretical logic. Like yeah. it's in my head. Yeah. Even while I'm using it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is supposed to happen. Whereas somebody who doesn't know what to expect will like have a reaction to that. And if you're watching them, you can you can kind of pick up on that and you can kind of see what's going on and be like, oh, that actually that's not supposed to do that. Sorry. Um, whereas if in testing things yourself like if you're using something and you see it do something odd you'll be like oh i've got to fix that and you'll just kind of plow mm -hmm. on through and then you'll like you can forget it or you can just kind of not even like it can be a non-conscious thing that you just kind of like skip over it because you know that it's not going to work or something or you can derail your other things that you wanted to test after that because you got so distracted on that bug <laughs> Yes, yeah. and this then happened you, to me. And then you, th then you, yeah, you fix the bug that you found. And you're like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm done good with now. this now. Yeah, I'm good now. <laughs> this is good forever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It sounds like I'm pretty close to Jelly in that you know whatever I'm working on, I'll kind of test adjacent to that to a good degree. But then sometimes, obviously, things get through there because you don't realize how that butterfly effect happened, and all of a sudden you change this one thing, and you didn't really think through how to make that change and affect other subsections but i've been lucky i think unlike you two i have at least some decent beta testers the one of them i will definitely say is the best beta tester ever thank you kirby but the, you know i i have somebody who skis 100 days a year and he's i'm able to like ship him a beta and he's using it for a week straight every day and he's able to verify like yeah things are working pretty well and that's been a huge blessing to me considering just my gatekeeping of bugs isn't the best so I, I think that's helped make up for me at least a little bit of my processes not being the best. 
But I, if I remember correctly, you two don't seem to do too well with beta testers. Yeah, I I think the problem is that my beta testers are kids and parents, and we just don't have time yeah. as parents or kids. So the kids will test it, but the parents aren't watching, and so they don't tell us if there's a bug or if there's a bug they're not they they're not even around to tell us or to tell us what's happening when that when the crash happened or something weird happened and then just parents in general are just really unresponsive yeah. <laughs> and that's just how it is i think that's just people in general honestly <laughs> <That too. laughs> I, I i've got a i've got a decent number of beta testers it would be somewhere between 50 and 100 i think um so it's not like it's not huge but it's also not tiny and if any of them are listening, I very much appreciate you all. But uh, I like it's something that I can't rely on. Like I can't rely mm. on getting you know comprehensive um, feedback at all, or even any feedback a lot of the time. I just have to kind of see what's happening from my crash reports and stuff like that, and then do a lot of testing myself to try and figure it out. I can't beta testers are great, but I can't rely on them. And I can't rely on them to be able to ship stuff that actually is is going to work. Um, and that that I mean that counts for crashes just as much as as anything because sometimes the testers that I have just won't test things that I need them to test yeah. in order to be able to ship it to be satisfactory. And I mean it's it's kind of a problem, but uh, it's just something that I've got to work with. So what I've ended up doing is kind of avoiding my beta testers a little bit it's not like you know i'm non-confrontational i don't want to confront them but uh i so i'll just tend to like ship stuff directly i mean i i send stuff to the beta testers just because why not but i'll send something out to the 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 app store and wait for real users to feed back to me because most of like I don't know what it is, but real users are somewhat more vocal than the tested testing users that I have. Because they're more angry. <laughs> well, you have a larger mass there is the problem. Like yeah. you're the proportion of people who actually reach out to you when there's a bug, even in production, is small. So within a beta tester group, if you only have a hundred of them, you know, maybe one out of a hundred are that invested to reach out. It's pretty rare. Mm. Um, which is I yeah. think part of the problem and why I'm so happy that I have Kirby, because he really actually cares about seeing this product do well because he uses it every day and damn it if there's a crasher he wants it fixed so <laughs> he's invested in it to a good degree uh, which is rare but when you have that larger user base you know you're gonna find people who are willing to reach out which is helpful so speaking of that do you two do anything because we all have leaks in our process bugs get out it happens so once they're out in their wild besides the built-in xcode stuff do you do anything to solicit bug reports or crash reports from the users themselves, or do you just leave them to their own devices to try and find you or leave you a one star or do something like that? I mean, I try to make it as easy as possible to get in touch with me. And, you know, I've got a presence on Twitter and I've got an email and it's I've got places that you can directly send me stuff from the app and all of that sort of stuff. And I, I check my reviews, my run one star reviews for people who have problems so that I can resolve them. I'm generally aware and kind of on top of any of the things that I could possibly use to f oversee the people that are using my app. I do also, and I've mentioned this before, kind of follow topics, I guess, on Twitter. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I, I follow the word gift wrapped. Right. Uh, so that I can see if anybody is having 
trouble with gift wrapped. <laughs> and then even if they don't actually mention like, you know, you know, mention gift wrapped, I can kind of pick up on whether or not they're having problems and I can kind of inject myself into that conversation and be like, Hey, I'd like to fix this if it's yeah. if at all possible. Just can you send me this piece of detail and I'd love to do it. I mean we we talked a little bit a little bit about that on the um customer support topic. Yeah, yeah. the customer support yeah. topic, yeah. But you know, I I don't I don't know how much more I can do than that. I I mean, I do all the basic stuff like collect crash reports and stuff. And for just FYI, I don't use Xcode's built-in thing oh, no. unless like unless I get to a, like a real like serious situation where I'm like I can't figure out this this bug and I need to like this crasher and I need to like figure out where it is in the code and then you know the Xcode has a couple of extra kind of frilly bits for helping with that but I use Fabric because and Crashlytics because mm-hmm. it, it tends to be better in that situation for picking up on like you know crash reports and yeah I get a lot more through Crashlytics than I do Xcode you know there were times back before I included Crashlytics that it would be like people complain I'd get a couple emails like oh this crashed on me and I literally couldn't find it in Xcode but I look in Crashlytics right. once I install it and it's like oh here are 100 crashes I'm like thanks Xcode that was I would have liked to have fixed this. <laughs> yeah. I don't even know why. It's like part, partly it's because of the like they have to opt in right. for crash reports, which I mean, come on, Apple, like crash reports. But it's also that like for some reason, even if they have opted in, doesn't always happen. Just kind of who knows where, the, where those crash reports went. They just kind of vanished <laughs> yeah. into the ether. We're pretty much in the same boat. We're not doing a whole lot in the app to ask for bugs or bug reports or crash reports because you know again it's a kid's app and Mm. the parents i don't know i I, we just haven't done a whole lot there but we do use fabric no we did use fabric so we kind of have the added layer of the kappa compliance where we have Uh, to be uh really careful on what we're tracking and we were using fabric for a while and then Google bought them. And then we weren't 100% sure whether or not they were still COPPA compliant. And so then we decided to take it out. But for the the time we had it, it was really, really useful for Crashlytics and whatnot. One thing that I found helped me to get bug reports from users, not just, you know, from Crashlytics. Because sometimes the, you know, some of the crashes in Crashlytics, one of them I had was, you know, a UI alert controller basically was for some reason, just crashing because I couldn't present it. And I didn't know which UI alert controller it was based on the call stack of 160 UI alert controllers that are within slopes. There was just no way to tell which one it was. You should know them all by name, Curtis. <laughs> yes. UI alert controller, Bob, I know you well. And I couldn't tell. And this was one of the like, I keep pretty crash free, but this was like the top five crasher. Like it was affecting like, you know, 15 people a week or something like that. And it was really pissing me off. And so one thing yeah. that I found worked really well or has worked to my advantage is, you know, kind of I bake into the app that I'm, you know, I'm just one dude trying to do this type of thing. So I find people are more willing to reach out and be like, hey, I wanted to let you know about this crash so you could fix it. It's not a big deal, but I thought you'd probably want to know. And one guy actually wrote in and was like, hey, you know, I just had this crash. Here are the steps I did. And then when I reproduced that, it was the crash I was trying to find for months. And it was just like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. That's been really helpful. And also including when you hit send feedback in slopes, I use Coco Lumberjack for all my logging. And that's helped me immensely that I will attach the logs 
to my customer support email. And I'll also attach a second text file, which has some debug information, like what iPhone are they running? What are their photo permissions? What are the location permissions, healthcare permissions, all that kind of stuff I normally have to have a lot of back and forth for. And that's helped me track down bugs pretty quickly then, because then I can just be like, oh, you're complaining that, you know, you can't, you're not seeing your ring credit. Well, yeah, you denied slopes activity or uh, calorie credit. So yeah, that's going to happen. And that's been pretty helpful. So one of the things that I do is that I try to make use of the way that Fabric attaches logs mm-hmm. to crash reports and error like reports and stuff like that. Because, I mean, Crashlytics can do two things. They can do like you're crashing stuff and then your non-fatal errors, which are yeah. like just the NS errors or whatever that you just decide to like send. And anytime you do that, you can like it'll pick up on whatever the logs were for to the you know start of the, the that particular session. And so, I mean, I've taken to logging everything, literally every step that they possibly could wow. take in the app. I log, I log it. Mm. So if they open a if they open a particular view controller, it tells me what view controller that they opened. Uh, not like necessarily the contents. Not like I'm tracking people's like actual stuff. Just the actions that they take. And that means that every time that a crash happens, I can look back and I can see exactly what they've done. You know, I, I, I mean, I can see, I can see generally what they've done. Sure, what steps they took to get there. Yeah, like where they went into the app and that sort of stuff. Like what they tried to do um, that you know that caused this problem. That doesn't solve every problem because I mean, it only solves crashing and stuff that I know about. Because if I know about it, I'll just. I'll capture an error that doesn't actually exist so I can kind of pick up on what I think that is. One example of this recently was that I think it was actually just just before the the move or just after the move to the iPhone 10. So everybody was getting new devices and I I thought, well, you know, this is a problem. Like anytime that somebody moves to a new device, you know, sometimes you end up with a keychain not moving over, which means that like if you were logged into Dropbox with GiveWrapped, then you would lose your Dropbox login and it wouldn't be able to sync. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have a way of telling you that. So I decided that I would add a way to tell you that. And so I set up an alert that would, you know, figure it out. And it turns out that that was just showing all the freaking time. Oh, no. Because it would fail. Like, sometimes it would just fail a couple of times before it would kick back in and it would be like, okay, it's Mm. fine. Everything's fine. But the alert doesn't know that. It's already like, hey, I've got a problem. So what I ended up doing was capturing errors anytime that I was presenting that screen so that I would be able to figure out, like, what situation is causing this to come up? And it turned out that for some reason when the app was in the background, potentially because the phone is locked, I'm guessing, it wouldn't be able to pull the information out of Keychain to be able to sit to, you know, be able to right, get the token right. for Dropbox. And so it would be like, I can't get the token, so it must be like this must be broken. So I'm gonna present the thing and it's in the background. So it would show the thing, but it would when it came back, it would still be showing even though it had connected to Dropbox. Right. Oh, that's a fun one. That's a long story, but it's <laughs> the the point is like I just I log everything. Like I I capture as much as I can so that I can pick up on on things that are going wrong. And if I know about a thing, I'll find a way to like add stuff into the app so that I can pick out like I can get information, collect that information so that I can I can solve the problem down the, down the line. And I have I walk that really thin line of like how much information is too much information. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might have helped me some. The crasher that I shipped, I guess I really haven't talked about yet, um, was a fun watchOS one. And this is part of my watchOS rewrite. And it would happen that at the end of the day, people were complaining that either their data wouldn't make it over to slopes on the phone or their data wouldn't make it into HealthKit. And it was a very weird one. Only six people a week, like really rare. And 
it wasn't until I was talking to Kirby when I was up there in Vermont and he recorded for a day when I wasn't there. And he mentioned like, hey, I noticed when I ended my day, it was really slow and then it crashed. And that's all I had to go on. But that was the first like, because nobody had told me that slowness bit. So what was actually happening was, so watchOS has this rule that if the CPU is going for too long, for full throttle for more than I think it's like five seconds or something ridiculously short, it'll start killing things. But it will never kill Apple's stuff. It'll always kill your stuff first. (laughs) So what was happening was when they would hit end, I would save to HealthKit first. And then I would save and transfer over to the phone. Well, the problem was sometimes, as best I can tell, HealthKit in its own process was taking forever to do something very CPU intensive that was in no way related to slopes, but that was triggering the five-second gatekeeper and it would then terminate slopes before it would transfer over. Oh, right. So I rejiggled things, did a bunch of stuff asynchronously, now save my stuff first, screw HealthKit, and as best I can tell, things are working swimmingly now. Um, But I wonder if I had been logging along the way, I'll log errors and I log at basically the info level, make it into my logs in production. But if I had done more verbose level of like, okay, we started to save HealthKit. Okay, we finished saving HealthKit. Okay, we started saving slopes. If that would have made that easier, because that took me a good three weeks, Mm -hmm. um, because that's not one that shows up in the crash log, unfortunately. That's, you know, I think that's under Jetstream or something. One of those obscure log events, not necessarily your app log. And that was really frustrating. So I wonder if the verbose stuff would have helped me more. I'm not sure. It it does seem like a hard line to walk. Yeah. I mean, you've got the line of like, of like how much is too much, like, privacy situations can be Mm -hmm. a little bit kind of wiggly and i personally don't want anybody's information i don't want to see what people have in their libraries because that's that's not my business and i don't care unless it's for some reason that is what's causing the problem but if that's causing the problem then i will i'll ask like if i think that that might be a problem um and i've had situations where like file names or whatever were causing problems so you know there are legitimate reasons why i would know that but as a general rule, I don't capture file names unless I'm specifically asking the user for them, not like just kind mm. of automatically in the background. But yeah, I, I guess what I end up doing is like I will log anything that the user does and it only really captures when something goes wrong so I can kind of pick up on that. Yeah. But as a general rule, I don't. I, I try to steer away from anything that would be like identifiable sure. if that makes sense mm-hmm. no yeah like i'll log when they successfully log in or log out but i don't log the email address associated with that um that's yeah, not exactly. in my log yeah. files yeah. so i like i'll log things like when they enter like you know they preview a gif i know when they've previewed a gif mm-hmm. but i don't know what the gif was or anything about that gif like i don't know the size or anything like that i just know yeah that they they opened it and in fact gifs in gifs in the app as far as the app can tell have like this randomly generated uh, identifier and that's what I see like Mm. it's got nothing to do with what the actual like I would never be able to figure out what that was yeah it just lets you track the process of that gif through yeah if I can see that like Mm. that's happening with that gif once in a while then I'll know that like something something is wrong something is wrong in that space and I can kind of figure it out yeah like I, I I basically jump through as many hoops as I can to avoid logging anything that would be problematic in a security sense especially with like the stuff that's going on with um gdcp european yeah. thing yeah that one yeah i'm yeah. starting to look into uh, that stuff like gdr just or gdrp yeah our gdrp i think mm. yeah i mean i want to avoid in general having any of that information because i don't want it i don't want to have to yeah. deal with it yeah i don't want to have to like it's like you know if i'm storing stuff i that means that i have to like you know deal with the proper security and stuff like that i don't want any of that that nonsense 
I, I avoid I, I avoid as much of the identifiable personal stuff as I can, and I only log the things that actually apply to the app that wouldn't be yeah. something that would be Makes able sense. to like. I it's not like I can figure out like. Oh, this is Curtis. I can tell because of this randomly <laughs> ident- like random identifier. So all these problems <laughs> you guys are having now, we haven't really had to deal with because we haven't done any syncing at all. Um, everything is just local. Mm. But that's going. We're going to be introducing some type of syncing in the new app, and I'm a little bit terrified. <laughs> you can- <laughs> I have a lot of that's logging hard. in my syncing engine. <laughs> You can tell where I'm paranoid about my code, where all the logging is. Yeah, yeah. There's so much more to consider. And and yeah, we don't want to track anything. Like, we actually even have to be more careful to not track yeah. anything that we shouldn't be tracking. And we're, we've actually considered, or we are considering either using an open source type um, of analytics or just writing something simple mm-hmm. on our own, just so we can guarantee that we own the data and it doesn't go anywhere else. I think that's our first and foremost yeah. like biggest concern that no one else has access to this data, not just what we're tracking, but who has access to it. Hmm. And so that's that's kind of where we are. We are not so I'm a little I'm a little concerned. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot to take on. Well we that I think is a whole separate all these that problems. can be a whole separate thing because you know privacy when you're running your own server stuff gets crazy. And we're just in the weeds right now of like tracking at a logging level for debugging purposes, like getting even higher than that is <laughs> that's we'll probably have to have an episode on GDRP or something like that. But that's going to get fun, I think, at least for me, where I store a lot of data. So, yeah, but uh, to get us back yeah. on track as GDRP will be his whole own thing <laughs> that I am Ooh. still wrapping my head around. And if, if you all haven't heard of it, it's a new EU law goes live at the end of May. Google it. If you run servers, be afraid. But <laughs> getting us back on the bug tracking stuff, though, yeah, I, I guess a good way to wrap this up is, you know, what what have you kind of learned and taken out of your testing process over the years? You know, for me, you know, I, I think it's the reality that I'm going to ship bugs and I need to try hard not to, but that when I do, that's okay to some degree. And Mm. it's still a hard balance of kicking myself for shipping a bug and I feel terrible. But I think that's the one thing I've kind of had to make peace with is that bugs are going to happen. And really the only ones I beat myself up for anymore are the critical ones of data loss. But those are pretty far and in between. So I'm kind of curious, you know, what have you two kind of taken out of testing over the years and you know where you are today with it? I'd say that mine is less about bug testing and more about just like the user experience with the kids because mm. they use it, they use the app in totally different ways than we would imagine. And anything that should be tappable, if they think something should happen, you need to make that mm. like something happen in that spot. And those are the types of things that, you know, we're trying to be cognizant of when we test um, moving forward. So, so it's we're more experience testing kids. than bug testing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's my bigger concern. But now, of course, now that we have, we'll be having syncing <laughs> features. <laughs> uh, be afraid. Maybe we'll not. <laughs> I don't think we can avoid it anymore. Jelly, what about you? <laughs> I'm trying to think because honestly, I feel very much the same as Curtis and have for a while. You know, embrace the chaos. I you know, <laughs> is is how I kind of approach things. But look, I I think at the end of the day, I feel like I would be a bad developer if I did if I actually thought that I didn't ship bugs. That's that's a that's a bad approach. 
and I, I I definitely feel like regardless of anything that I do, I can test to through the wazoo, and it will like I'll have I'll send out bugs, and I've sent out terrible ones. I've sent out some really bad ones that have deleted people's stuff, and you know it's crazy. I, I guess like my approach has been like, what can I do to minimize that? And what can I do to make that less of a problem for people in general? And the kind of the answer that I've come up with is to, it's, it's, I guess it's, it is embrace the chaos, but embrace it carefully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I don't just ship stuff anymore that like could have major implications for people's stuff. I will ship parts of it and and try and test it and not go so far as a b testing because that is its own you know whole kettle of fish but i definitely ship everything with like the ability to turn it off Uh but i will err on the side of like i want to ship something cool and new and like here it is but also i need to be able to like I need to be able to like retract that really quickly and not rely on Apple to yeah. like, you know, allow me to deal with that. So yeah, I that that has kind of been my approach is ship stuff and kind of wait for the outcome, good or bad, and then kind of, you know, allow myself a way to like reach in and turn that off if I need to. Um Yes, yeah, so I think the hard reality is that, you know, there are better ways to do some of this. But that involves a QA department or a QA person in general. And that can be really hard on an indie budget to find a good QA person. They're unicorns, like an actual genuinely good QA person, not just somebody to poke at, you know, some of those automated services that you can buy that just randomly poke at the app and the yeah. screens. Like to get real good value out of it is expensive because um, they're rare and they're very good. Um, but, you know, as indies, we kind of have to compromise a little bit on being able to ship some bugs and that being okay and just mitigating how bad the ones are that get out. Mm-hmm. Sad reality, yeah. but we do the best we can. So if you would like to get in touch with us, uh, you can do so at independence.fm or you can send us one of those nice little emails at hello at independence.fm. Or if you'd like to talk to us online, uh, we are occasionally social. You can find us on the Twitter. Uh, I am at parrots. That's the plural of the bird. I'm eat a duck. I must. And I am jelly bean soup thank you all for listening and we will talk to you again in two weeks